for me. I've been an Anglican for 10 years now, but I have to admit, coming from the Bible church and Baptist church background that I did, Lent is a little challenging for me. Particularly, let me just give you some examples. Early on, uh, invited to fast and did it with a friend, and of course, I wasn't very good at it. So I was kind of proud of myself that I didn't have any real meals. I had about three or four yogurts during that day, but it was diet yogurt, right? And that's how, that's how I thought you know, a good fast was, and I shared this with my friend, and 10 years later, I still don't live it down. Anytime the subject of fasting comes up, I get mocked, um, just not very good at it. And the running joke in our house is, you know, what are you thinking about giving up for Lent? Well, every year I talk about giving up Lent for Lent, because that's the only way I can succeed at it. Um, it is a beautiful time, though, and of course, the focus is on our own mortality and our own death and our inability to overcome sin in our lives, that we are prepared to recognize our need in the, for a Savior. And of course, Easter comes, and we get to celebrate that. So I'm always glad when Easter comes. It's a time to celebrate. Jesus has conquered death, and he's put sin to flight. Um, he's made it possible for us to experience eternal abundant life. All we need to do is ask him, right? That's the story of Easter. And as Jesus, excuse me, <laughs> as Jason told us last week, not Jesus, well, Jesus through Jason, we'll, we'll do it that way. As Jason told us last week, uh, when Jesus overcame death, he changed the rules, right? He wants to radically transform our lives. And the way that we live in response to it is radically different than the world. That's where I want to pick up today. This week we're going to talk about how our lives are changed. Um, is it just that we accept the gift of salvation? Is that our proper response? What are we supposed to do next? We're supposed to be thankful. We're supposed to celebrate. We're supposed to try and be good. I guess those are all good things, but what more? What next? And so what I want to do today is look at the apostles and their response uh, from our reading in, in Acts chapter 5 today. Um, go ahead and turn there, if you would. I'd like you to follow along with me. It's Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Let me just give you a little background, because we jumped from, uh, from Easter and all the way up to, to Acts chapter 5. We skipped the first four chapters, and, and actually most of chapter 5. So let me give you a little background here. Here's what's been going on. The apostles have been radically changed. Their lives have been radically changed by Jesus' death and resurrection, and we'll see the ascension and Pentecost as well. I'll get to that here in just a second. But they're out there proclaiming the gospel boldly, and the people of Israel are beginning to respond. But the leadership, the Jewish leadership, is not. They're threatened by the message of the apostles. And so, in turn, they threaten the apostles. And in chapter 4, um, uh, the apostles have already been before them. They've been warned, sternly warned, not to, to continue to preach. But, of course, what is their response? They go right back to the temple, right where the Jewish leadership is, and begin to teach publicly to the people again. And, of course, um, the high priests and the Sadducees um, and all of the Jewish leadership were jealous of the apostles' popularity and wanted to shut them down. Their own power was threatened. So they arrested the apostles and 
put him in jail overnight, and they planned to hold a trial the next morning. Very similar to Jesus, right? Jesus was arrested, and the next morning there was a trial. Um, excuse me, there was, a, there was a trial, and he was beaten uh, and crucified and the next morning. And so they were planning to do the same with the apostles. But that night, the angel, or an angel of the Lord, released them and went, told them to go back to the temple and preach. Okay, so that's our context when we get to chapter 5. Um, look with me at verse 27. We're going to read a little bit beyond the passage that was read earlier, but I think it's worth... Uh, Doing so, let's let's turn there now. And when they had brought them, this is the the captain, uh, the officers brought the apostles. Um, they set them before the council, the Jewish leadership here. And the high priest questioned them, saying, "We strictly charged you not to teach in his name, in this name, Jesus' name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You see how how bold they've been, all of Jerusalem." And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, we're not going to look at it, but one of the things they're proclaiming is that the people of Israel helped crucify Jesus, and the Jewish leadership put him to death. But it's not just the Jews, right? It's the Gentiles and the Roman authorities. That's, that's in there, too. But they're saying to the apostles, the, the Jewish leadership, saying, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And here's what Peter and the apostles answered. He said, Uh, Peter speaking for them. He says, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand. That's the ascension. As leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness for sins. Forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. That's their role. I'm highlighting that because we're going to come back to that. They understood what their role was. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Let's keep going a little bit. Verse 33, it says, When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who, by the way, trained Paul, and we see him later in Acts, um, he's held in high honor by all the people. And he stood up and gave orders to put the men, the apostles, outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do to these men. He gives two examples of movements that had sprung up, and then uh, they went away because they weren't the real deal. So skip down to verse 38, and he says, so in this case as well, in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this understanding is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God... You will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ, Jesus as the King, Jesus as the Messiah. That's what they continued to preach. A lot going on here, and we can only focus on some of it, but this beating that they took, most scholars agree it was very similar to the one that Jesus took before his crucifixion. How many have seen uh, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie? You know the scene, right, how gruesome that was. It's 39 lashes 
It's not just, you know, they kind of beat him a little bit. Almost to the point of death, what was their response? They rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were accounted worthy to suffer dishonor for Jesus' name. And what did they do? They went right back to the temple. Right back to the temple from house to house, and they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the King, the Messiah, the Christ. In the end, every apostle except for John was martyred for the faith. And John had a pretty tough life. You can say that he lived the life of a martyr, but even though he died of natural causes. How did the apostles get that kind of commitment? How were they able to face death and persecution with such boldness? What did they understand that we typically don't? I think there's three things, and that's what we're going to focus on today. There's three things that they understood that I think we typically don't. The first is, death really has been overcome. Really, it really has. The second thing is that Jesus' death and resurrection are only part of the good news. They understood the whole story of the gospel and the role that they played in it. And the third thing is, knowing these first two points is not enough. They also knew that they needed the Holy Spirit's power to make them bold and to work through them. Those are the three points we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about them in order. So, death has been overcome. It really has. As I mentioned, Lent is not really my thing, right? There's a focus on our mortality and on death. And this year was really no different until I had a friend that died. Um, went to the funeral, and I guess through my Lenten discipline, I was prepared to hear a lesson about death that I never really had thought about before. And it was, you know how you, you read a passage, or you hear a prayer, or you watch a movie, or whatever it might be, and a phrase just stands out to you, it just, and you don't hear anything else. That's what this was for me. That's what it was like. And the phrase, it's, it's, it's insightful. I mean, I've heard it a number of times, but... It was a prayer at this funeral service, and it's um, help us to accept death as a natural part of life. And I realized that I still fear death. Um, I mean, I get it, right? I, I understand that Jesus conquered death. I know that. I believe it with all my heart. But I still fear death. And I bet a lot of you do too, right? I have this image sometimes of just lying there, motionless, not able to, to move or to laugh or to hug my family. And this sense of dread comes over me, right? That's the power of death, and I still fear it. That's my typical reaction, even though I know I'm not supposed to. And my life reflects that. The things that I do... With my, with my life, show that I still treasure my life in the flesh on this earth more than I treasure proclaiming the gospel like we're supposed to. That's the proper response that we saw from the apostles. Now, we might not do it quite like the apostles, and I'll get to that in a little bit, but we're still called to that. My life doesn't reflect that. I still seek fun experiences and seek comfort, and I shy away from proclaiming Christ boldly for fear of what might happen to me. Um, so, but the apostles knew that death is not to be feared, just like I do, and I think we all understand that. But they lived differently. 
This knowledge is not enough to stir us to action. So it's good that we celebrate uh, Jesus' overcoming death, and we need to accept that gift of salvation. But if we're going to respond to the gospel the way that we ought to, that's not enough. We can't just focus on Easter. And what else did, the, did they know? What else did they understand? This is the second point. They knew that Jesus' death and resurrection are only part of the gospel story. They understand the whole story of the gospel and the role they play in it. What do I mean by this? Let me give you an example from middle school math. If you have a point on a graph, how many lines can you draw through that point? It's infinite, right? So if I'm standing at this point, I can have a line going this way, or this way, or this way, right? You get the idea. Or if I, you know, I can go this way, right? Infinite number. What if you have two points? That's a line, right? You still have to know which direction you're going. Um, but if we just have one point that we focus on, namely Easter, I really think that it enables us to live our lives however we want to. We can go in this direction or that direction or that direction. So I want to show you the other points that the apostles understood. And you'll, you'll see that I'm not um, treading down a heretical path here, okay? If you think that that's where I'm going, it's not. But we have, if we focus solely on Easter, then the Christian life can really just be anything that we want it to be, right? Jesus overcame death, and it's a gift to those who accept it. I've done that. I want other people to accept it, but what do I do with the rest of my time? Well, I'm supposed to tell people about the gospel, but, um, you know, maybe I, I just don't do it enough, and I kind of beat myself up for that, um, you know, kind of like what I was saying before, I understand that death has been overcome, but if I really, really believed it and counted on it, my life would look different. Let me give you a couple other points that change that perspective that uh, the apostles understood that we need to. One is the ascension. So after the death, the sacrificial death of Jesus and his resurrection, what happens next in, in the story of salvation? Jesus ascends. What does that mean? He ascended. It's not just that he left the earth with his body. He ascended the throne in heaven. And that's where he sits today and reigns as king, as the Jewish king. But we also know from Pentecost, another point on this trajectory, that Jesus' earthly ministry continues. So when he walked the earth in his physical body, what he taught and what he proclaimed and what he did and his death and his resurrection, all those things while on the earth are part of his ministry. But that ministry continues today. It's just that he's not here physically. He's in heaven on his throne reigning. But he still has a body here. He still has hands and feet and mouths. Right? It's you and me. What Pentecost is is the king ascends his throne, he sits on the throne until the time is right, and he continues to reign there, and he sends his spirit down upon his apostles and the church. For what? So that we can continue his ministry on earth. He reigns from heaven, and through us continues his earthly ministry. What was the number one thing that Jesus talked about? I mean, the, what, what his, his message was all about was he proclaimed the coming of the kingdom of God. 
right? That the king would come and his reign would become real on the earth. If you look in Mark's gospel, um, let me just turn there real fast and, and cite this for you. It sets out the thesis statement for all of what Mark is going to talk about in his gospel. It's chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. John the Baptist was arrested. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Right Here's the gospel that Jesus taught. You want to summarize it? Here it is. Here's how Mark, Mark summarized it. This is what he said. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Did he talk about his death and resurrection? Well, yeah, that's part of it. What was the whole of it? The kingdom of God. Look at Acts chapter 1. This is right after the ascension. Chapter 1, and by the way, Acts is the second part of a two-part series. Luke is the first part, Luke's gospel. Okay, Luke wrote both. And so he says, in the first book... He's talking about Luke, O Theophilus. I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Those who heard me talk last time, I talked about the ascension, but it's worth mentioning here. What Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands for the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Look at the end of Acts, and this is the last, and there's, I could quote numerous passages here, but I just want you to see this. Very end of Acts, chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, this is talking about Paul. He's in Rome, and this is, uh, this is how it summarizes, and this is how the book of Acts ends. It says, he, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I could keep going with this. The Lord's Prayer, right? What do we pray for? That God's will would be done on the earth as in heaven, that his kingdom would come on the earth as it is in heaven, among other things. This is central to it, and the apostles understood it, right? So Jesus' ministry is to establish God's kingdom on the earth, and he began it through his teaching and his works, through his death and resurrection. And he ascends into heaven and he's continuing that work through his people, through the church. Okay? It's the very same ministry. And the apostles understood that. So they understood that they had an important role to play. They get to take part in Jesus' ministry. This is the whole gospel story. It's about the kingdom of God being established on the earth by the promised. Jewish Messiah, the Jewish king. Probably goes without saying, but Christ is not his last name. If you haven't heard that before, it's sort of like president. It's not, you know, President Obama, it's not his first name, right? Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the Jewish king, the promised king who came to establish his kingdom. That's what he's all about. And Jesus continues his work through us. The apostles understood that. Now, I want to drill down on this. Two important aspects of this truth that they understood that I think maybe we, we don't. Okay? First thing is, 
I know that there is a popular notion that goes around that Jesus does everything and we really can't do anything. Okay, and we should, I think that is a critical mistake if we think that way because what happens? It enables us to sit on our hands. Well, I can't really do anything anyway. Instead, what has happened is Jesus has chosen to work through us. We can't do anything by ourselves. I think that's the truth. Okay? The mistake is saying that we can't do anything. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And in fact, Jesus has chosen to work through you and through me. This goes all the way back to St. Augustine uh, in the 4th and 5th centuries. This idea that we cooperate with God. God works through us, not despite our will, but in cooperation with our will. We have to cooperate, and he gives us the grace to do that. Okay? So, if we don't understand this cooperation, that we're supposed to cooperate with God, that we're supposed to help continue his ministry on the earth, what do we do? We end up focused on Easter and celebrating that, and then go in any which direction that we want to. But if we understand the whole gospel is about bringing the reign of God to the earth and that Jesus began to teach that and to do that and then he ascended on high and then he deputized us and chooses to work through us, there's only one direction that we have. To be witnesses to that kingdom, to help spread it, to help make it a reality. When we pray that God's kingdom would come to the earth in the Lord's prayer, we're not praying just for him to do it. We're praying that we might have the privilege of taking part in that and making it a reality. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're supposed to be praying for. I can say I haven't always prayed that way. And that's the second important aspect of this that I want you to see is that it is a true privilege. Even when we suffer. Actually, especially when we suffer. And that's what the apostles understood. What a glorious thing to be used by Christ for his hardest works on this earth while he reigns from heaven. To be willing to suffer like him, even to the point of death. What an honor and a privilege to be counted worthy for that. You get the perspective? Not only has death been overcome and it's a gift for us, his ministry continues, and he wants to use you, and he wants to use me. And it's a privilege and an honor if we suffer for what we're supposed to do, to take part in bringing about his kingdom. We are literally his body on the earth, his hands and his feet and his mouth. It's a metaphor, right? The body of Christ, but it's also a reality. His flesh is in heaven. And he works through us on the earth, his hands and his feet. Let me give you one more uh, illustration here, and we'll move on to the third point. The idea of a car, right? You've, you've all heard this metaphor. I heard it growing up. Well, I sit in the, in the passenger seat. Jesus is just driving my car. Okay, well, there's truth to that, and I don't want to denigrate that. But what I like better is the idea that Jesus is the navigator, and the Holy Spirit is the gas, and I'm driving. That gives me a role to play. I think that's more accurate. 
I can go wherever I want to, right? My wife can testify to this. She can give me all the, the directions in the world. I'm still going to go the way that I want to go, right? But you get the idea. Jesus is our king, and he's telling us where to go. He's asking us to participate in his mission. And he gives us the fuel of the Holy Spirit. That was what happened at Pentecost. So that we might be able to serve him and go where he needs us to go. If we just focus on Easter, couldn't I dedicate my life to the pursuit of comfort and security and wealth? Series of fun experiences, all the while clinging to the Easter message that I've got eternal life. And from time to time, inviting other people to experience that eternal life? Well, yeah, you can. But that's not the whole message of the gospel. That the kingdom of God is coming to the earth. His reign in our lives to make everything new. All of creation. That's the direction that we're supposed to head. And so, not only did the apostles understand that death is not to be feared, that it's been overcome, but they also understood the nature of the kingdom and our role in it, and their role. It sets the direction for our lives. As Jesus, I just did it again. As Jason told us, (laughs) boy, that's really weird. (laughs) Uh, As Jason told us, it reorients our whole lives. But knowing these two points is still not quite enough. And there's a third thing that the apostles knew that we typically don't. And we kind of do, right? But they understood that we need the Holy Spirit's power and boldness, both. Look with me at Acts chapter 4. This was the first time that they had encountered the council, the Jewish leadership, and had been threatened. And starting in verse 23, chapter 4, verse 23, they were released after being warned, and here's their response. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against the anointed, right, the Christ, the Messiah. Verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed as the Christ, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, right, the Roman authorities, along with the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And, and now, Lord, here's what they ask, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, to us, to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand and heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And then it goes on, right, and then we get to chapter 5 where we saw that they were beaten within an inch of their, their lives, within an inch of death, and released. And they rejoiced. They prayed for the Spirit. They understood the whole trajectory of history and God's work 
throughout it. And they understood that they had a small role to play, or actually kind of a big role as the apostles. They understood that. But they understood that whatever part that was, that they could only do it with God's help. And that they needed boldness to do it. And so they prayed for it. That was their prayer in the face of danger. What do you typically pray for in the face of danger? What do I pray for? God, please deliver me. You know, don't let me have to go through this. I don't, I don't want to suffer. Um, instead, their prayer was, may we be bold and continue to proclaim your word, despite the danger. They also understood that the Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting, right? That it's not by their own power, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. They understood that. They knew that. So, how do you and I respond? We're not the apostles. They had a special role to play. We get that. The early church was persecuted heavily. In fact, the word martyr comes from the Greek, which literally just means to testify or to witness. We're witnesses, right? It's synonymous with martyr, being, being prepared to suffer. And there's martyrs today around the world. When I hear their stories, I thank God that I don't have to suffer, right? That's the wrong response. But here's the deal. We're not supposed to seek out suffering. We're just supposed to be prepared to suffer and to count it a great privilege if we suffer on behalf of the gospel. Right? The early church throughout Acts, they fled persecution. They took the necessary steps for survival. Um, so it's not that we're supposed to seek out death. I don't want anybody to hear me saying that. But when we cannot avoid persecution, and by the way, I think it's coming in this country. Might, might not be five years, might not be ten, but I think it's coming. We're a post-Christian society. But when we cannot avoid persecution, we must be prepared to stand firm with boldness and to count it a privilege. We must be prepared like the apostles were. So, how will you respond to Easter? More specifically, how you respond to all that Jesus has done for you. He overcame death and offers eternal, abundant life. He continues his earthly ministry through his people, and it's a privilege to take part in it. And he will equip you with boldness and the power of his spirit to make it happen. So, will you treasure your flesh and cater it to its fleeting desires? Or will you accept all the works of Jesus and serve your king in heaven while you walk this earth? I want to close with a quote from Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. And I had it marked, but I lost it. So bear with me just one second. This is very anticlimactic, I know. Okay. Um, <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It's part of a prayer that Paul has. Um, and here's what he says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. Do we need to fear death? No. That power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Right? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Will you, will you pray with me? God, we pray that as we go from here, that these words uh, in your scripture, 
and these examples that we've seen in the apostles, God, that we might take them to heart and take note of the things that they understood that we typically don't. And we pray, God, that you would help us to become prepared like them, to continue faithfully in your service, in helping to carry out and participating in the privilege of carrying out your continued ministry on this earth. As you reign from heaven, as our Lord and Savior, we thank you for everything you've done for us. May we respond faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.